Our Bible reading this morning is from the first letter of John, chapter 2, beginning of verse 28. It can be found on the, in the church Bibles on page 1226. 1 John 2, verse 28. <clears throat> and now, dear children... Continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Delia. I've got some props this morning, unusually. So I'll just bring these out. I should have said earlier, by the way, um, that if you don't regularly receive our email, if you do regularly receive our email, by the end of the service, you'll have this letter. If you don't, there are paper copies in the foyer um, and larger print paper copies in the foyer. If you're looking at that and going, that feels very small. Um, So uh, they're available as well. Let's pray before we look at this uh, passage, though, which is what we're here for this morning. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your word. 
We praise you for the way that it speaks to us. We praise you for all that it says and all that it inspires and and challenges in us. Holy Spirit, as we come before your word afresh as your children this morning, would you dwell deeply within it? Would you speak to us through it? And would we know your power and your presence amongst us? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. If you uh, watch or read the news, then it won't have escaped your notice that in the last few weeks, another well-known church leader has been accused seemingly with significant evidence of behavior which, frankly, is unacceptable for anyone, particularly unacceptable for anyone who professes the name of Christ. I'm very aware that some people here may have been personally affected by this, And others may be struggling to reconcile the image of someone that they thought they knew with the things that they have been accused of. This isn't the first time, and whilst I hope it will be, I suspect it won't be the last time when someone in the public eye sins in some way. And so it's opposite, then, that we have today reached this point in our look at John's letter, which, if you've got an NIV Bible in front of you, is almost certainly titled, God's Children and Sin. What is sin? Well, sin is the stuff that we do, or the stuff that is done to us, which is outside and against the will of God. The stuff that we do, the stuff that's done to us that is outside or against the will of God. That's one definition. Ignatius of Loyola said uh, this, sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. But when it comes to the church, we have lots of different views, conflicting sometimes views, of what sin is and our response to it. And so I brought some friends along from home this morning to help caricature them. Various different ones. In fact, I'm going to use this one first. It doesn't really matter. But there we go, just because that was what I planned to do. And as I say, these are caricatures, but we might recognize something. And this first one is called Mr. I Don't Care. Now, Mr. I Don't Care says that Jesus died on a cross in order to save him from his sins, correct? And so, therefore, he can do whatever he likes. It doesn't matter because he is forgiven. It's absolutely fine. Yes, Mr. I Don't Care shouldn't sleep with his partner before he gets married, but it's okay because Jesus will forgive him. Mr. I Don't Care probably shouldn't be playing the National Lottery because it's gambling, but it's okay because it's only a small amount of money, and when he wins big, he'll give lots of it to good causes. Mr. I Don't Care says uh, he shouldn't really say those things about the person at work that he doesn't like, but it's okay because Jesus will forgive him. Mr. I Don't Care. Mrs. I Can't Move 
welcome Mrs. I Can't Move. Mrs. I Can't Move feels that she's such a miserable sinner, she cannot even get out of bed without having sinned 15 times in the morning. She's now really panicking because she's just listened to the reading that Delia's just read. And according to that, she's not even a Christian because she's a sinner. And it says that if you sin, you can't, the Christ doesn't live in you. Mrs. I Can't Move is so full of guilt and of shame that she feels she's a disgrace to everyone, especially to herself. Last one, I promise. Oh, it's pencil. Mr. I'm Perfect, thank you very much. Mr. I'm Perfect, he's probably a church leader, and he's looking at these going, yeah, you are miserable sinners. You're awful over there, but I'm perfect. I can't remember the last time I sinned. I don't know what they're moaning about. They're probably not Christians, but I am, and I am perfect. Mr. I'm Perfect, thank you very much. I don't know if they'll stand up. There we go. Rather wonderfully, Mrs. I Can't Move has kind of got her head in her lap, uh, which is not what I planned, but I, I enjoy that. Caricatures, as I say, but I wonder if any of us saw something of ourselves in any of those three. Certainly, I wonder if some of us saw something of other people that we've known or know at the moment. But what do the scriptures say about sin? We'll come to our passage in a moment, but for those of you that have done living free with us here, uh, you will know that there are three truths, three tenses of salvation uh, that we think about, which I think can speak to these three bears. Firstly, that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Romans 8 verses 1 to 2. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Mr. I don't care understands this verse really partly well. There is no condemnation, it says. So there is no condemnation, he thinks, for the things he has done or the things he is doing or the things that he will do. Uh, that's what he's saying when he says, it doesn't matter what I do. There's no condemnation. He's right, there is no condemnation. That's what it says in Scripture. But he's not right that it doesn't matter. We'll come to that. The second, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mrs. I Can't Move sort of understands this. She knows that her journey with God is one of continuous renewal, the continuous article, to use the English phrase. It's something that continues on and on. It's something we continue to do. We are being saved from the power of sin, having been saved from the penalty of sin. And Mr. I, uh, I'm Perfect perhaps has a future vision because we will be saved from the presence of sin. Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. We will be saved from the presence of sin. But what about our passage today? Because on first look, and I'm going to look at the beginning in a minute, but verses four to 10, on first look, that doesn't seem to be exactly what it's saying. Verse 9, which is in the bold. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. So therefore, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born 
of God. That is what bear number two is thinking at the moment and going, ah, I'm not a Christian because I continue to sin. So how can I be born of God? John, assuming it is John that wrote this letter, which I think it was, isn't teaching perfectionism here. If he were, then verses 8 and 10 of chapter 1 would be in direct contradiction to that. Verses 8 and 10 say this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. What John is saying in this part of the passage is coupled with what he says at the beginning of the passage about our identity. It is not that Christians are unable to commit the occasional acts of sin, but it is that we are not characterized by the spirit of lawlessness, that we are not powerlessly led into habitual patterns of sin, nor are we to be defined by it. Here we need to understand, and I've said this before, the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt, I think, needs to be re-understood. Guilt is what none of these people are experiencing. Person number one doesn't feel any guilt because he doesn't feel he needs to because he thinks it's all fine. Person number two isn't feeling guilt. They're feeling shame. I'll come to that in a moment. Person number three isn't feeling guilt because, frankly, they don't think they've done anything wrong. So why would they feel any guilt? But guilt is our inner sensitivity to sin. It's what says to us, I have sinned. And guilt is okay, provided it leads us to repentance and freedom. Remember what it says, where is it? There it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Person two has allowed the guilt that they have felt to settle in and become shame. Whereas guilt says, I have sinned, shame says, I'm a sinner. Where guilt says, I have lied, shame says, I am a liar. Where guilt says, I have stolen, shame says, I am a thief. Shame affects our identity. Guilt does not affect our identity. Children of God can be guilty of sin, but are not identified by it. We are identified as children of God. Jess and I and the children have just been on holiday to a lovely cottage on the edge of uh, Dartmoor. And on day three, one of our children, elder children, who will remain nameless, uh, took a pot of honey uh, from the kitchen worktop to open it to, I quote, allow their mermaid to see a reflection of themselves. Our youngest child, Zeph, who is just over one, and so therefore you're too young to know any different, found said pot of honey and proceeded to paint the carpet, the sofa, the curtains, and himself in an attempt to eat as much as it as he could before he got caught. Now, did I look at Zeph and say, oh, well, that's it. You sort yourself out then. Let me know once you've cleaned up the carpet and the curtain and the sofas and you cleaned yourself up, and then I'll decide whether or not to call you my child again. No, of course I didn't. I looked at him, as I do every day, and said, you're my son who I love. Now, you've, what a mess you've got yourself into. Let's see if we can't get that cleaned up. It's an imperfect image of the image that God has of us. I love my son deeply. God loves me more than I love my son. God loves you more than we are able to love our human son. He doesn't look at us in our sin and say, you sort yourself out and then I'll call you my child. He looks at us and sees us as his child and says, I have already sorted this for you on that cross. 
So does it mean that none of this matters? Is bear number one correct? That actually it's absolutely fine, all is okay, Jesus died for us on a cross, we don't need to worry. No. There are countless reasons why we need to be aware and sensitive to our sin. Sin will get in the way of our relationship with God. Sin is against what Scripture tells us to do, the way God tells us to live. But as I prayed and as I reflected on this passage, I think I was led to John 17, verse 15, which I think reflects the passage we have. This is Jesus praying. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That we would, to use a phrase, be in the world, but not of the world. I've said countless times before, the devil remains a prince of this world, seeking to disrupt and disturb the work of God at every turn. And remember what I said about sin right at the beginning. Sin is the stuff that we do, or is done to us, which is outside and against the will of God. When we sin, it has consequences. Mike Pilavacci, who I spoke about at the beginning, I should say has yet to be uh, proven guilty. But even now, the impact of that situation has been huge on the church. There are times and times before that that has happened again. Sin has consequences even when we think no one is watching. Remember the three things I said about bear number one at the beginning. When we choose to sleep with our partner before marriage, we are communicating to the world that God's standard for sexuality is not important. We confirm to a society where the latest statistics show that 40% of marriages end in divorce, and at least 15% of those divorces are happening because of adultery. When we choose to give our money to the lottery, it speaks to a society where over half of the UK currently gamble in some form every week. 170,000 people last year were affected adversely by it, families torn apart, houses lost. When we choose to speak badly about a person, even if only to a close friend, then we speak to a society that is battling with loneliness and depression and a huge range of other mental health issues. Now, we must not fall into shame God is bigger. God has paid for our sin on that cross. But we also mustn't fool ourselves into thinking that it doesn't matter. So how then are we to respond? Two things briefly. Firstly, our own personal sensitivity for sin and our own way of dealing with that in our lives. I mentioned Living Free before. It's a course that we run here. Haven't run it for a little bit. We'll probably run it uh, next year. Uh, But the videos are available on the website. At that, I use something called the five R's. Now, this isn't a religious formula. Uh, It doesn't say in Scripture to deal with sin. You must use the five R's as advocated by Adam on the 11th of June, 2023. They are five biblical principles that can be helpful for us dealing to deal with sin. There are others. I think Neil uses four P's. doesn't matter. These are the five that I use. The first is to recognize it. It's that personal sensitivity. It's that recognition of guilt that we have done something or are doing something that we shouldn't do. The second is to repent, which is slightly more than just saying, oh, sorry, I'm moving on. Repentance means to turn away, to change direction, to move away from it, to say sorry. The third is to receive, to know whose we are, to know that we are children of God. 
The fourth is to rebuke. Rebuke the lie of the evil one that will seek to call us back into that sin. Call us back into the thing that we were doing. I talk about it as a, as a wound that's got a scab on it that the evil one picks at in the hope of making it bleed again. It's that, what it says in Scripture, about taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. And the fifth is to realign. I usually say at Living Free, if you take your car to the garage because it's got dodgy brakes in it, and they take the brakes out and give it you back, you're in a worse situation than you were in when you, were give, you took the car to the garage. This is the idea of doing something that's the opposite in order to realign ourselves with God's way. So if we're speaking badly about a person, it's about blessing them, honoring that person in some way. If we're using our money for gambling, it's about using that money for God's purposes, for God's kingdom, uh, whatever it is. You get the, you get the picture. Um, that's about three-minute understanding of the five R's. The video on that is called Repentance and Rebellion, or Rebellion and Repentance, probably the right way around. Um, uh, and it's on the website. You can find it, living, SJS.Church, Living Free. You can watch it at a later date if you want, 45 uh, minutes or so, or come to the next course uh, whenever that will be. So the first thing is our own personal sensitivity to sin and, an, and a willingness and an attentiveness to it and to dealing with it. The second thing is to live as children of God. What the beginning of this passage reminds us of, that we are his children. Now, before I went on holiday, um, I was feeling a bit overwhelmed by a number of things, not least the two things that I shared with you uh, 20 minutes ago, half an hour ago, whatever it, whatever it was. And I pray once a month with a couple of people who help me uh, to grow as a prophetic person, prophetic mentoring. Um, now, I don't know how many of you know Andy's Aquatic Adventure, uh, it's a BBC program. It's very good. Andy's the guy on the right, uh, in case you've not worked that one, you can't work that one out. Um, Andy's Aquatic Adventures, a BBC program, children's program. My kids love it. I love it even more. And um, basically what happens in every episode is that Andy breaks something, usually. Uh, and then in order to fix it, he has to go to the place uh, where it was originated from. And in order to go to that place, he usually has to shrink down to the size of something. Um, and so in this case, that's a mud slider, guy on the left, uh, very small, uh, and he's been shrunk down to the size of it. And he does that using his gizmo on, on his wrist. Now, in my prophetic mentoring uh, chat, uh, meeting, when I had just before I went away, I had a picture of myself on a boat in a storm trying to hold various boxes and stop them from going off the boat. And I felt massively overwhelmed. It spoke to where I was. And then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Adam, use your gizmo. And I looked, and I had Andy's gizmo on my arm, and I pressed it, and I became Big Adam. And there, before me, was a toddler holding a tray of water with a small boat inside it and going like this with it. And I said to the toddler, stop it. And as the toddler does when they're doing something they shouldn't, he looks at me, when they usually do, and, and stopped immediately. It might be that as a result of what I've said this morning, you are feeling overwhelmed by the weight of sin. You might be overwhelmed just with life in general. I think this passage is calling us to remember who we are and whose we are. If the evil one is saying, ha, that's not for you, uh, you're, you're too terrible for this, maybe he's rocking your boat at the moment. I encourage you to join me in pressing your gizmo. 
to remember that you are a child of God and that the one who is in you is bigger than the one who is in the world. That the devil is a toddler. Unruly sometimes, sometimes very loud, sometimes annoying, but ultimately small in comparison to who and what God has created you to be. The first verse of our reading said this, Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. I wonder if you would stand with me, and I'd love to pray that over us. Lord, we praise you that we are your children. We praise you for your love for us. Lord, would we have confidence in who it is that you have called us to be? A willingness to be sensitive to the times when we do things that are outside of your will. A willingness to repent and to turn away. And a knowledge of who we are confident and unashamed in your presence. Before we sing again, I just wonder if we might hold a moment in quiet together. You might want to hold out your hands in front of you and ask the Holy Spirit once again to come by his power and remind you of the love that God has for you, that he's lavished on you his hope, and his power. Holy Spirit, would you come? See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Lord, for those moments when we feel overwhelmed by the storms, would you remind us that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world? Would you remind us of your hope your power, and the inheritance we have as your children. And would we walk with you always. Come, Holy Spirit. We're going to sing again a song of response. As we do that, if you have children in uh, groups, it would be great if you would go and collect them ahead of us coming to communion, which we'll also use as response together. 
Let's sing together.